You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to an off-day episode of Locked on Rockets, the only daily podcast covering the NBA's winningest team. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official flagship. As we chat this Tuesday afternoon, the Rockets just wrapped up a practice session at Toyota Center between Monday night's Game 1 and Wednesday night's Game 2. Clearly, there are a lot of issues for the Rockets to correct after the 119-106 loss, many of those we discussed on our post-game show here at Locked on Rockets. Defensively, the Rockets were just absolutely abysmal, had a rating of 122.8. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, between them, 83 points on more than 50% shooting. The defensive communication for the Rockets was poor. There were also some personnel limitations with Trevor Ariza getting his fifth foul just a couple of minutes into the third quarter. Luke Bamute, who was solid defensively, but his lack of trust in his shoulder, which he admitted after the game, causing him to be an enormous offensive liability, controlled how much the Rockets could put him out there defensively. And then Gerald Green, who, as we would expect, is a defensive negative, particularly in a series like this, where the Warriors have such exquisite ball and player movement, even away from the ball. So there's a lot for Mike D'Antoni, Jeff Pesdelic, and the Rockets staff to tactically correct. That's what they're working on today. And of course, we discussed many of those in our post-game recap last night. That said, we should acknowledge the positives, and that starts with James Harden, 41 points, 14 of 24 shooting, just absolutely ridiculous, showed why he's this year's MVP. The Rockets, I thought, successfully challenged Steph Curry on switches. They got him brought out to the ball and had a lot of success in isolation. Curry coming off a grade two MCL injury. They know he can't move laterally that well, and so the Rockets did have some success. Offensively, they have to build on that. Defensively, as mentioned, the communication needs to get a lot better. They certainly need some regression to the mean from guys like Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson, who had 37 and 28 respectively on 50% or better shooting from the field. And the Rockets need to find a way to get their role players going again because a lack of production from guys like PJ Tucker and Luke Bamute, a combined 0 of 9. Ariza with the foul trouble and was just 1 of 5 on threes in the 23 minutes he did play. Gerald Green and Eric Gordon, their defensive limitations in general, that supporting cast has got to get a lot better, and the Rockets are going to look at those things in the film room, and, well, they already have, and then implement those at practice today as they gear up for Wednesday night's Game 2, which effectively is a must-win, because if the Rockets go down 0-2 to the three-time defending Western Conference champion Warriors going back to Oracle, it's never over until it's over, but at that point, it's pretty discouraging. The Rockets need to get at least one of these two games at home, and now Game 2, it's all that's left. It's a must-win, and the Rockets, they've got to push their chips in the middle of the table. They have got to make adjustments and take that game like it's their season, because for a lot of reasons, it effectively is. Now, of course, there are so many X's and O's you can discuss, and we spent most of last night's show on that. Today's show, we're going to be a little different. With it being an off day, again, this is Tuesday's show, I'm going to take what I consider a 30,000-foot view. And where I see, to start off, and we'll do it in our normal three points recap, but, or in this case, not so much a recap, more of a preview, I guess, for the rest of the series and beyond. But when I say 30,000-foot view, what I mean is less individual game randomness 
and more what are we learning from the standpoint of roster composition, fundamental principles, because certainly the Warriors, especially the Warriors with Kevin Durant, they are the gold standard for the modern NBA. So either the Rockets this series, they're going to win and prove that they are there, or if they lose, we're going to know just how close or not close they are to scaling that mountain. So not just this series, but long term for this era of the NBA, Golden State, they are the gorilla. They've what you've they're what you have got to get through. And some of the X's and O's stuff, there's a lot of randomness. For example, a defensive communication. You go back to the Utah series. The Rockets were terrible in game two. That was the loss. Other than that, they were pretty good that series. And they adjusted after game two and game three and game four in Salt Lake City. They were significantly better. So I'm not willing to say that because the defensive communication, for example, was an issue last night, that necessarily is for the remainder of the series. Now, certainly the Warriors... Durant, Curry, Thompson, Draymond, they present all sorts of challenges that the Jazz don't. I'm aware of that. But what I'm saying is some of this stuff is just individual game randomness. And while it's important from the standpoint of understanding what happened in a game, I think from the standpoint of understanding how you get your team to that level, there are some bigger picture trends that you need in your analysis. So in terms of game recaps, we'll focus on strictly what happened in that game. And then on our our off-day shows, what I want to do more of in this series is taking what I consider the 30,000-foot view, to give fans hopefully a little bit of a broader perspective, not just the series, but beyond what are the Rockets' deficiencies versus Golden State and how do they close the gap if they haven't done that already to ultimately get there. And so to me, when I look at Game 1, and this ties into one of our discussions in our recap on Monday night, the big discrepancy from the regular season when the Rockets won 50... Uh, 65 games, excuse me, to Golden State's 59, and even before the wave of injuries, it's easy to say that, well, Curry had the MCL injury, Durant and Clay each had minor issues. Even before that, the Rockets were neck and neck with Golden State basically within a game either way for pretty much the entire season. So it's not just a matter of the injuries. The Rockets were right there with Golden State before and through the first 10 games of the playoffs. Both teams were 8-2, and two, and based on all the various net ratings and all the other advanced metrics, they were very close as far as alternating one and two of the best teams in the NBA. So it's not just the injuries that made the Rockets comparable to Golden State over the first 92 games. What made the Rockets comparable to Golden State was the depth. Because the, t- the top-end talent for Golden State, it's not just the four All-Stars and two MVP candidates. There are so many synergies. They play so well together. Of course, Durant and Curry are MVP caliber. They have elite shooting capabilities, but with Draymond Green, it's his defense, it's his passing, it's his instincts. With Klay Thompson, it's his defense, it's his off-ball awareness, how he can punish you, and and many of the same things can be said about Andre Iguodala, who's, of course, more of a defensive oriented player, but he's so smart, even on offense, he makes those well-timed cuts. They all play well in transition, and so as good as they are individually, collectively, it all fits. So you're not going to beat the Warriors just through top-end talent, because as good as James Harden and Chris Paul are, there's four All-Stars and two MVPs in Oakland. We all know that. Where the Rockets were successful this season in hanging with the Warriors was because they had the advantage in what I consider the five through nine spots. Trevor Ariza, Luke Bamute, P.J. Tucker. I guess you would call Eric Gordon four, but I would throw him in there because he's in a similar tier, we'll have more on Gordon later in the show. But Gerald Green, Ryan Anderson, 
all of those guys throughout the season had moments in which they were very, very good. And not, and when I say moments, I don't mean just individual games. I mean extended stretches. The Rockets were better in that 5 through 9 range. Yet in game 1, the minutes that Curry and Durant were on the bench, there were 7 of those that both the two MVP candidates were out for Golden State. Not only did the Rockets not, not dominate those minutes, the Warriors were actually plus 7 in those 7 minutes. The Warriors won the game by 13, and 7 to 13, in terms of the margin, came when Curry and Durant were not even out there. Now, yes, they still did win by 6 in the minutes that one or both were out there. So the, the Warriors were plenty good both ways. But the bottom line is, what was supposed to be a strength for Houston in this matchup, in Game 1, not only were they outplayed by the likes of Andre Iguodala, Nick Young, Sean Livingston... Even David West, Looney, for their uh, sparingly use. The Rockets' strength turned into a weakness. That can't happen. Because if it does, we know the Warriors are better in terms of top-end talent. James Harden, Chris Paul, Clint Capella, they all had at least pretty good games. And in the case of Harden, a great one. But ultimately, the Warriors, with their stars, their synergies, it's going to be tough to beat them at any point, with high-end talent. The Rockets, the way they were in the same league as the Warriors this year, it was about the depth. In Game 1, it was not there. And the reason it's a little concerning to me is because, in the grand scheme, we know that playoff series are usually about stars. And if the Rockets falter because of depth, they will not be the first team to do so. Look at Toronto in the East. Now, granted, Toronto has certain issues, I think, that go far and beyond Houston's because Toronto, even in the first round of the playoffs, before they got swept by Cleveland, Washington, an eight seed that was nowhere in the class of, say, Minnesota or Utah, took Toronto to six, and many of the games Toronto won, they scraped by in the fourth quarter. So I think Toronto, Lowry, and DeRozan, they've got their own issues independent of just depth. But nonetheless, part of what Toronto did in the regular season that was not as effective in the playoffs, especially against a team with LeBron James, the depth that made them so dominant over 82 games, the grind, it didn't matter as much in the playoffs when there are more off days and opponents are more able to, say, extend LeBron James to 40-plus minutes if that's what they need to do. And in game one, the Warriors played both uh, Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson 40 and 42 minutes, respectively. So teams that are built around depth, we have seen a tendency, not always, there are some teams that break the mold, but by and large, that advantage can erode in the playoffs. It's just one game, but so far that's the case. And if it works that way, then the Warriors, between the four All-Stars and the synergies between them, they just have more top-end talent. So if the depth advantage for Houston in the season is not going to translate, the big takeaway, and of course it goes back into the LeBron James, Paul George discussions we've had potentially June, July 2018 for some time, the Rockets may have to address the top-end talent scenario. Uh, it's just one game. There's a lot of games in front of us this series, and hopefully the Rockets can adjust. And some of it, to be fair, like in the case of Luke Bamute, it's clear he's not at 100%. But the depth, that made that's what made the Rockets comparable to Golden State in the regular season. It wasn't there in Game 1, 
And if it's not, it's tough to see a roadmap that leads to Houston winning because Golden State Stars, they are what they are. Now for segment two, I want to transition from talking about the depth to talking about the stars. Because we know how, especially on Twitter, NBA playoff analysis goes. It's always somehow a referendum on the stars, even when it shouldn't be. Or the coaches. And in this case, I didn't even address last night because it was so silly, but the narratives are still out there. So at this point, I'm going to discuss the ISO situation in which there seems to be a narrative amongst some corners of NBA fans that the Rockets' problem compared to the Warriors is that they are too ISO-heavy and the Warriors have more ball and player movement. And first off, that's silly. The Rockets, they've been an isolation team all year. They have two of the best isolation players in the history of the league in James and Chris, maybe the best of all time in James. But even in last night's game, courtesy of ESPN Stats and Info, the Rockets' offense was far more effective in isolation. On hardened isolations, they average 1.67 points per play. On Chris Paul isolations, they average 1.25 points per play. All other plays, 0.89. It is a massive discrepancy. And it also helps them slow the pace, which I we all agreed going into the series was a big deal. I've seen some pointing out that the Warriors won the fast break points battle 18 to 3. So, yes, three points is very low. But at the same time, honestly, the Warriors, with all of their transition expertise, they could easily have a lot more than 18. The isolation plays, quite frankly, were a big part of letting the Rockets control the pace the way they wanted to and how they ultimately had a chance within four points in the fourth quarter. If you pick up the pace and you make it a transition game, I don't think that's going to work out well for you. You might can boost your offense a little bit. By and large, the Rockets had an offensive rating last night of 109.4. It's not great, but it's fine. You can win with that. It's just defensively they were poor, and if you pick up the pace just for the sake of picking up the pace, yeah, you make, might can make the offense look a little prettier, but what you're going to lose on the defensive end would be, in my opinion, fatal, especially because of the threes that the Warriors tend to get when they are in transition, and of course they have so many elite shooters with Durant, Thompson, and Curry. To some extent, I think the Rockets getting so ISO-heavy and slow-paced, we said a lot on this podcast that since February 1st, they're one of the slowest-paced teams in the NBA, is by design. It's tough to see an upset, especially in a seven-game series, when the style is at the preference of the favored team. Typically, when there's an upset, it's because there's a contrast and you make the favored team uncomfortable, and then all of a sudden they play beneath what their usual capabilities are. I think maybe that's why the Rockets, even by their standards, went slow and went more ISO this season down the stretch. The Warriors, the way they're built, are so good, so lethal in transition, you may need to to zig when they zag. Slowing the pace... That's what's given the Rockets a chance in these matchups, and especially down the stretch of the year when they were dominant. They've always been ISO-heavy. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't tweaks you can make. For example, last night, I thought the Rockets boxed them in, boxed themselves in far too often in terms of not initiating the movement on the isolation plays until only three or four seconds were left on the shot clock. That often led to turnovers. They had 16. That's too careless with the ball in a matchup like this. 
And in general, a lot of that came because if you wait to three or four in the shot clock, you're becoming too predictable to the defense. They know when you're going to elevate, when you're going to make that first step because the clock dictates it. Whereas you can still play slow, but maybe start with eight seconds instead of three or four and then be less predictable to the defense. There are tweaks you can make. And sure, you can have a few back cuts here and there. But the Rockets have had arguably the best or at least top three offense in the history of the NBA this year. And they've always been isolation heavy. It's what they do. And ultimately, in this series, it's almost essential because between the Warriors' transition excellence and the Rockets' limitations in terms of transition defense, you pick up the pace and you're going to be playing exactly how Golden State wants you to play. That's not to say that it's perfect. Again, I thought they had too many possessions last night where they waited until the final five seconds of the shot clock to initiate the offense. There were too many turnovers. There are little things that they can clean up. But I don't think the Rockets radically need to change their offensive approach. That wasn't the issue last night. And quite frankly, James Harden, 41 points, 14 of 24 shooting. They found Curry in mismatches and torched him, as you'd like to see them do, coming off a grade 2 MCL injury. Offense was not really the issue for the Rockets last night from the standpoint of fundamental principles. They were fine. Harden was great. Chris Paul was at least pretty good, although... I would say the first three quarters of the game, he left some things to be desired and ultimately mentioned those minutes that the Rockets lost without Curry and Durant. Many of those came early in the second, early in the fourth quarters when Chris Paul was out there. And while the role players have a lot of responsibilities, so does Chris. He needs to be better and elevate the team in that scenario. That's what stars need to do. But again, we're coming off a game in which Chris Paul had 41-10 and zero turnovers and the game five closeout against Utah, a great defensive team in its own right. He's going to be fine. The real story in this game offensively Harden was great, Chris Paul was pretty good, and yet the supporting cast did not do their, do their jobs, they missed a lot of open shots, and then of course many of the offensive problems translated to defense, because Luke Bamute, it was a struggle to keep him on the floor that much, he's valuable defensively, but offensively if he's not able to contribute, they had to pull him. Trevor Ariza got a little out of control, limited to 23 minutes because of five fouls. And so again, it all comes back to the role players. The fundamentals, the offense was fine. James Harden was great. Not perfect. There are things they can clean up. But I don't think the Rockets are too isolation heavy. That's not the takeaway in terms of what happened last night. What happened last night, the role players didn't show up by and large. I mean, there were a few exceptions, but they just weren't good enough. And Golden State's four all-stars did what Golden State's four all-stars do. It's not a fundamental flaw. It's not coaching. It's not the stars. It's roster composition. The Golden State stars showed up. The Houston depth didn't. And that, not isolation ball, not fundamental principles, is the biggest reason far and away for Golden State's 13-point win in Game 1. Now, when I discussed the issues with the supporting cast earlier, a lot of it is collective. Some of it, they did miss some open threes. Luke Bamute struggled at the rim, which is somewhat to be expected after dislocating his right shoulder twice. He admitted after the game that he's not trusting it all the way that, uh, all the way just yet. And maybe the Rockets can consider some tactical adjustments too. For example, one thing I wonder about, Gerald Green, while he did make two of his four threes, defensively, against a team that moves off the ball as well as 
the Warriors do, can you have multiple guys who are not all that aware off the ball? With James Harden, we know the story with James. He's a very good on-ball defender, especially in the post. But to this day, he still gets exposed in terms of back cuts because he ball watches. And to some extent, the Rockets do benefit from it sometimes because they do get Harden is able to read the ball essentially like a quarterback. And many times he gets huge steals. But ultimately, the Warriors, with their player movement, they punish James. They punish Gerald. Uh, they punished Ryan for the five minutes he was out there. And maybe, for example, you played Joe Johnson, who at 36 has athletic limitations, but has more toughness, more veteran savvy, more awareness than Gerald Green does. There are little tweaks you can make like that. Maybe you can have a heart-to-heart with Luke Bamute, find out exactly where he is physically. With Trevor Reza, it's just a matter of being more aware. I, I think I don't have any problem with the Rockets leaving him out there with four fouls in the third quarter. He's just got to be smarter, and he can't take the contact that he did on his fifth foul. So there are little things that they can tweak and adjust with that supporting cast. But by and large, they're role players. Their performance is going to fluctuate, and ultimately, that's why building your team around the top-heavy model of Golden State, especially in the, the playoffs, is a more sustainable model. So that's why I think the bigger takeaway is the Rockets. To match up with Golden State, you may have to just simply get more top-heavy. But among the supporting cast, the one guy that has consistently disappointed has been Eric Gordon. And we're not just talking last night, because overall, he was okay, at least offensively. 15 points, I believe. 6 of 13 from the field. 3 of 7 from 3. But defensively, he was poor. By the way, that's been a story the entire postseason run, is that Eric Gordon defensively has not looked good at all. But Beyond just the defense, it's staggering how much his efficiency has declined for two seasons running, 22 combined playoff games in Houston, 11 last year, uh, 11 so far this year. Last year, Gordon's player efficiency rating, and to be fair, player efficiency rating is not the only way you can judge someone like Gordon, because efficiency is always going to be a little bit skewed given that he's a volume shooter in that six-man role off the bench. But nonetheless, we can compare to the regular season. Last year, he had an efficiency of 13.2, his per in the regular season. In the playoffs, that slipped to 11.5. This year, it's just an absolutely staggering decline. He was at 15.2, his per in the regular season. In terms of numbers, he shot 43% from the field, 36% from, from three, Overall, 18 points a game, which is his highest in terms of points since way back in the 2011-2012 season. In the playoffs, he's gone from a 15.2 per in the regular season to an efficiency rating of 9.8. Yes, he is in single digits. From the field, 35.4%. From three, 32.5%. Even on twos, he's just... 39.6%. 39.6%. Compared to the regular season, we mentioned that you know he, he's strong, especially in the lower body, and he's able to have some success on drives. It's not really happening in the playoffs, and it's certainly not happening from behind the three-point arc. And by and large, a guy who's bad defensively already, which I think at 30 years old, I think some of that's just the injuries over the course of his career that have zapped some of his explosiveness when he was younger. But a guy who's a liability defensively, 
and his player efficiency rating isn't even in double digits right now and is shooting in the mid-30s from the field, that's just not good enough. We mentioned going into this series, and I've said all season long, Eric Gordon is the Rockets' variable. We have seen for long stretches of regular seasons when he gives Houston a comparable impact to what Clay Thompson does in Golden State. Well, game one, even though Eric had one of his better shooting games in the playoffs, honestly, it wasn't even close. And that's just on the offensive end. Defensively, he was victimized repeatedly. He also was much more uh, turnover prone, it felt like. Decisions were questionable. But the bottom line is, it's not just about one game. We have 22 games of data on playoff Eric Gordon that suggests that for whatever reason, he is a far worse player than the regular season. And I've said in the past, everybody's numbers, not everybody, but most, decline some in the playoffs because you're playing tougher defenses. I understand that. But this is a rather large decline. And we spent all season saying that he's the Rockets variable. He and Clint Capella. Well, Clint Capella has certainly held up his end of the bargain in the playoffs. Eric Gordon has not. The Rockets need Eric Gordon to cancel out Clay Thompson in this series. It didn't happen in game one. And ultimately, to win this series, that's probably a prerequisite. Maybe it happens, and if it does, that's great. And I no one to be happier for Eric than me. If it doesn't, if this continues, then I don't think you can put your head in the sand and expect that magically it's going to even out. Because we are now at 22 games of playoff sample size of Eric Gordon in Houston. That is worse than Eric Gordon, playoff Eric Gordon, that is, than in the regular season. And I'm not saying he's still, he's suddenly a bad player. He's not. He can still help you, especially in that bench role. He adds shooting, where I still think he's a very good shooter. His numbers are a little bit skewed because of the high volume that he takes in the Mike D'Antoni system. But big picture, we let off with a comparison of the depth to the stars. And I mentioned that even though Eric Gordon would probably be four when you're looking at importance for the Rockets in terms of stars versus depth, he's actually more a part of that depth group. And if that's the case, then you've got to add more to that top group. Because if we take Eric Gordon out of that top four group, then essentially Golden State's got four of those guys, and Houston has three in Harden, Paul, and Capella. So if Eric Gordon's your four, but he's really closer to those depth guys, then it goes back to the initial issue, which is that A, the depth in and of itself has underachieved, at least in game one, and B, maybe you just don't have enough in terms of top-end talent, and be it LeBron, Paul James, some other move like that, ultimately you've got to find a way. And there are little tweaks the Rockets can make. You know, last night it's pretty clear Nene, Ryan Anderson, neither of those really fit in this matchup. Maybe there's another big, a Tyson Chandler-type veteran that you can find a way to bring in. You can chip away at the margins like that. But in terms of the grand scheme, matching up with their top-end talent, all season long, we've made the Eric Gordon-Clay Thompson comparison, said that if Eric Gordon steps up, he can be that variable. Well, this playoff run, he's not doing it offensively. The defense has been poor. And unless it changes over the balance of this series, I think it's silly to move forward thinking that Eric Gordon can potentially be that guy. That's not to say he needs to leave Houston. That's not to say that he can't be a contributor. But unless it turns around quickly, 
we're about to have twenty at least twenty five games of data that shows you that Eric Gordon in the playoffs for whatever reason is not a guy that steps up at the level of stars like the big four for Golden State and of course James Harden, Chris Paul, and even Cliff Capella in Houston. And so when we move forward, if the Rockets lose this series with Eric Gordon playing the way he did, really the way he has this entire playoff run, when you look at the overall numbers, there's been a few highs, such as Game 3 against Utah, Game 4 and 5 against Minnesota were pretty good. By and large, he has not been good. And if it doesn't fix itself this playoff run, I don't think you can expect it to magically happen now that he's in his 30s going forward. We've got to stop looking at him at the variable, looking at him as essentially a bench shooter slash playmaker who's useful in a part-time role, but is he someone that gives you the top-end talent? Is he the variable that you can count on to maybe in a playoff series cancel out Clay Thompson and get to that level? To this point in the playoffs, the resounding answer is no. And if this continues throughout the series, then we've got to reevaluate exactly what his upside is. And so when it comes to getting a fourth guy along with the big three of Harden, Paul, and Capella, to potentially match what the Warriors have in top-end talent, we've got to stop pretending and hoping that maybe Eric Gordon can be that guy and perhaps need to look externally for someone who can be. So with that, I think we can wrap up today's show. Tomorrow, we'll get back to the business of basketball. Rockets have Game 2, essentially a must-win for the reasons laid out earlier. And of course, we'll break down the nitty-gritty, what actually happens on the floor in a given game uh, after things are over Wednesday night. Today's show, I want to take a, what I called it, a 30,000-foot view, because, of course, this series is not just about game-to-game. It's about bigger picture competing with the team of this generation, probably the most talented in NBA history. And it's not just whether the Rockets win. It's also, if they don't win, how close are they? What are the things they need to do this summer from a roster composition standpoint to give them a better chance to do so in the future? And so beyond just the individual game-in, game-out results, there are some larger trends we can look at. And so to me... Uh, the depth, the ISO, the Eric Gordon, those are the three larger themes that I wanted to touch on coming off game one. And of course, seeing some of the discussions that are out there on Twitter, uh, and I'm sure are poised to continue over the next 24 hours or so until game two finally gets underway. So for now, I will sign off and uh, try and get some rest before game two. Hopefully y'all can as well. If you want more from me uh, before game two's recap, best place as always is on Twitter. I am there at Ben DuBose, simply my name. The show is at Locked on Rockets. Let's go ahead and email LockedOnRockets at gmail.com, at Facebook at Facebook.com slash LockedOnRockets, and a website LockedOnRockets.com. Always you can access our content, ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the diehard Rockets fan, I would absolutely love to hear from you. Once again, thanks for listening to us, and we'll be back tomorrow when the Rockets and Warriors face off in Game 2 at Toyota Center in downtown Houston, effectively a must-win game for your Houston Rockets.